culture do? What can culture do? What is culture? Culture unites us. We couldn't have asked for a better speaker. Uh, he, of course, is none other than architect uh, Sir David Chipperfield, who is very well known all around the world. But here in Berlin, we have cherished his projects, including the revitalized Noise Museum, as well as uh, the Rohes Neue Nationalgalerie, just to mention a few. So, Sir David Chipperfield, welcome uh, on stage. Lovely to have you. Cooperation between culture and design, that is uh, the topic. And I'm, of course, particularly interested in the role that architecture can play in cultural collaborations. Um, the role of architecture, um, how do you see it in the, in the cultural context? Um, well, I think the, the subject is, you know, of course, very consuming, and we've heard some very interesting contributions. And clearly, uh, we're not clear, how, you know, how... how um, you know, what role culture plays either within the museum or, or between museums or as a, as a part of uh, international understanding. Um, however, architecture sits in a, I would say, even more complicated uh, uh, place uh, insofar that um, um, architecture is, you know, well, let me say, in terms of the, uh, the contemporary culture and contemporary artists we seem to be expecting you know to answer the question of what role can culture play it seems to be implying uh, an expectation that uh, artists also can um, provoke discussion and debate about culture they can be part of uh, international dialogue um, in to some degree we expect especially contemporary culture um, to uh, contemporary artists to provoke, to ask questions and to consider their work within the uh, contemporary condition, which is a complicated one. Um, as architects are, are not uh, free in the same way. I mean, we are, we are, we are um, complicit in society. We are we work through others. We need commissions. We are, and we, we have a sort of vicarious relationship. So we can't provoke in the same way. I mean, we, are, we carry certain responsibilities. And I, I would say that um, the sort of crisis for architecture is that it's become increasingly irrelevant in a larger social way. We know that architecture is performing very well when we build museums and we build public buildings and we build special um, commissioned projects. Uh, architecture has become a bit of a sort of destination. However, when it comes to building cities, when it comes to building schools, building housing, building, in a way, society, then the role of architecture has become um, you know, stressed. I mean, it's, we are, we, it's become marginalized. When did you see that development take place? You see architecture has become marginalized. Uh, 
since when? Can you point to a certain era where you say, this is where things have changed, this is where I've seen uh, the changes taking place? Well, essentially, it reflects um, a reduction in um, the power of a state and the increase in the power of investment. So, certainly, you know, speaking from a, a sort of Anglo-Saxon perspective, um, we have, in a way, privatized um, a built environment. So, we depend on investment as the um, as the commissioning tool, and in, investment is not doesn't by nature um, police itself. Uh, in the ways that we might, as citizens, uh, might want it to do. It doesn't naturally um, consider uh, social priorities. We talk about the uh, role that architecture can play in cultural collaboration. You seem to, uh, listening to you, you seem to um, think that that role is has been minimized. Did I uh, understand you correctly? Yes. I mean, I mean, potentially, we have a, a much bigger role to play. I mean, I think architecture clearly, um, uh, by the fact that it is embedded in society, it does reflect um, society's values and us. You know, that's why... Uh, it's so powerful when it works. That's why we walk around uh, 19th century cities and, and enjoy them. That's why um, cities and buildings probably you know, carry our memories and our, our shared, uh, our, our shared um, values and uh, you know, our sense of community more than anything else. There's nothing else that can reflect so well. Um, we just had an, an exhibition, Vicenza. You know, if you walk around a city like Vicenza, the combination of, you know, normal buildings, rather, you know, not particularly interesting buildings, but then rather more beautiful monumental buildings, civic space, public space, this sort of mixture, this physical mixture of um, building and uh, civic space is something that appeals to us all. I mean, that, and we are, uh, you know, we read it and we, it means something to us. However, when we look at the cities we built, and the, the, we, we can't detect that anymore. We're, we know what sort of city we would like, but we don't build that. And I think that's, that architecture is, is prone, you know, It's fragile because uh, it depends on its relationship to society more than anything else. You know, an artist can operate independently, and architects cannot independently. So we, that relationship is absolutely critical, which means that when it's right, it's even more meaningful. But when it's wrong, when it's when it's broken, then architecture is left to be sort of isolated attempts. Can you give an example of where this uh, interplay between society and architecture is playing uh, 
uh, is working out very well these days? Is there one particular country, one particular city uh, that you would point to and say, ideally, this is how it should be done? No. Um, I would say, you know, that the, we're seeing in, in um, we're seeing a struggle um, between uh, regulation and planning and investment. Investment doesn't doesn't like that much to be over um, regulated. It it wants a certain amount of freedom. So we we need systems that find a balance between the energy of investment and the sort of responsibility of planning. Planning being, in a way, safeguarding civic values. Our value, you know, things that, in a way, um, protect us, the citizen. Um, and there are not so many places where that balance exists. I would say maybe Switzerland is, is always uh, fairly unique in, in that way, um, you know, in the, the sense that there is, a, there is uh, uh, a societal commitment to the quality of the sort of public realm, uh, to public infrastructure, you know, in a way that comes with the culture. Um, I, I think that the uh, the discussions about the quality of architecture, the quality of the built environment. I mean, for instance, we, you know, we are not building housing anymore. I mean, it's it's or less and less. I, I mean, I think that again, I would say there's a difference between the sort of Anglo-Saxon world and the and uh, the European world, um, but. Everywhere, this is this is an issue. In what sense? Where do you see the difference mostly? Because the Anglo-Saxon world has surrendered itself to the market, and uh, it's an ideological surrender. And we are, we believe there is a notion that the sort of market knows best. It's, so it's not a, it's it's not an acceptance that uh, of a rela- of a genuine relationship between private and public. It's it's a surrender to the idea that. The market actually delivers, you know, has an intelligence. And while that might be true in terms of products and in terms of consumption, it's not necessarily true in terms of building cities. Because if you you leave it to the market, the market does not take on uh, considerations that are beyond its own, uh, you know, its own concerns. It's... Investment is interested in leveraging value, you know, leveraging uh, money. It's not, nece- it's not, you know, interested in making society better. Only if you impose those uh, requirements on it, which is possible. I mean, I was at a conference recently with the mayor of Oslo, where, in front of a lot of developers, he was saying, um, "This is a political question. Uh, politicians, like myself, the mayor of Oslo." have to um, say what type of city we want and we have to then allow developers you know, to help us deliver that. But that takes a political leadership. You're saying we have, in the Western world at least, we have surrendered to uh, ourselves, to the market, to money, to... to uh, has it always... Was it ever different in this particular part of the world? Um, there's nothing wrong with investment. There's nothing wrong with uh, um, 
engagement. I mean, that, that's always been true. There's always been investors. It's always, I think there's an issue of scale, um, first of all. So when we are building, when, uh, when the contemporary world uh, gravitates towards larger scale things, um, then this has a profound effect on um, our cities. If you knock one, you know, if you have a house and you knock the house down, you build a new house, you, it might be an uglier house. And you might say, it's a shame, I like the old house. But one house replacing another doesn't actually change the structure of the city. If you take 20 houses and knock them down and replace with one building, then all of a sudden you've changed the whole morphology, the whole texture of the city in a substantial way. Investment tends to want... It gravitates towards bigness. It's not particularly interested in fiddling around with, with small things. It's not particularly interested in um, dealing with complexities. Investment doesn't want risk. So investment tends, um, in terms of uh, um, construction, uh, to want to stay within very um, safe boundaries. And it tends to want to go vertical because you tend to want to optimize the value of a piece of land. It doesn't go horizontal. I mean, cities have always grown horizontally. You know, we've always structured cities around streets and squares. Um, investment doesn't do that. It tends to, to want to, to work in a different way. And we do see, before I get the audience involved, we do see a development of urbanization in the sense that uh, more and more people are, are moving towards the cities, moving into the cities. Uh, um, Berlin, obviously, being, being also a prime example, I think this, the population of the city has grown by a half a million in the last 10 years alone. Um, is there a way back uh, concerning this development, or uh, do you think this is a, this is a development that, that we just have to live with, that, that the cities, as we see them, maybe New York, Berlin, London, Toronto, uh, those, will be, those will be the centers where people habitate? Well, we love cities for, for good reasons. Cities embody, um, you know, the, the meeting together of people, in, you know, uh, with diverse interests, diverse backgrounds, and that's why you know I came. I grew up on a farm. You know, I've I've been in love with cities ever since I left the you know the country, and and I would hate to go back to that situation. Maybe, however, um, what we're finding is again a sort of sanitize. You know, the 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 value of land. Is, t is having a negative, uh, you know, and the importance of investment is having a negative social impact on the city itself. So the center of the city becomes more and more valuable. Um, that means that we don't build uh, housing. We only build rich housing in the center. That means that we've we've, we sort of socially cleanse the city. So not only are we changing the way it looks, we are changing the way it feels. Mm. So all of a sudden the city becomes um, less... Uh, urban in a way it doesn't have many of the qualities that we enjoy um, I mean these are huge generalizations you know against everything I've said there are there are um, you know count you know I, I could probably find uh, situations which are which are you know I'm sounding negative and I don't mean to sound quite so negative and clearly 
this is a slightly black and white sort of um, series of statements, and it's not quite so simple as that. Um, but certainly, the the lack of commitment uh, to and leadership in terms of how we we deal with the built environment on the one hand, and how we deal with the um, peripheral environment. You know, so we have a number of conditions, physical uh, conditions. One is the you know, cent- central uh, urban conditions. Then we have peripheral conditions. And then we have um, the mm, agricultural or the small communities, you know, s- small towns and small villages. And we have somehow neglected uh, that as well. I mean, I think we haven't we haven't dealt uh, in a in a linked up way uh, with um, our built and our natural environment. And this is this is going to be the challenge, you know, going forward. And I think I think the 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 arguments that will come into play and maybe uh, protect us finally will be. Um, the strong arguments about sustainability and energy in, and resources because we will have to reconsider how we're using our resources, uh, how we are um, making communities, how we are, um, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, let's uh, get the audience involved here at this particular point. If there are questions, uh, remarks, something that uh, struck you that you would like to respond to, something that you would like to react to. Uh, Microphones are being placed uh, left and right. Uh, The gentleman here in the second row, please introduce yourself. I'm Jochen Sandig. I'm uh, one of these urban pioneers who um, got involved in um, getting into buildings that were empty after the wall came down. Tachele, Sophienzele, Radiasystem around the corner. Unfortunately, Dimitri, the founder of the Kraftwerk, is not with us, but he's also one of these techno pioneers. Um, I have a question to David, and I think it's true. Uh, you you sound a bit negative. <laughs> On the other side, I think uh, it's very important that um, you speak uh, very clearly out something which is a reality. Um, you didn't mention the word gentrification, but we know that gentrification has a positive and a negative effect. Um, but I, I would like to um, ask you the question about how you, how you consider the opportunities that Berlin still has, obviously being a vast city and having these this wall areas that are being transformed slowly and maybe too quickly, as we know. But how do you see a perspective, let's say, in 10 years' time? Do you think it's still... Um, Uh, possible that politics um, can change the rapid development that Berlin will not become what we know from Paris or London, cities where you would not find any creative space affordable in the city center. Do you still think that it's not too late in Berlin? And what would you say, what would you do uh, if you would be, um, let's say, an advisor for a political decision maker being mayor or, or a city planner? Uh, would you, what would you uh, recommend them to do? Well, I, I think Berlin is a complicated story. And um, it's very interesting to, under, you know, to think why all of a sudden 
did everybody sort of fall in love with Berlin? And I think it's because it was, in a way, incomplete. That there were gaps, there was space. People could feel that they, they could invent the city for themselves. You know, it was, it was, there was a certain, you know, out of this sort of strange history came a certain sort of innocence. And it thrived in this unfinished city full of gaps and space and physical and mental gaps. It's not like Paris or London where, in a way, it's a, it's a, it's a closed. The challenge for Berlin, of course, is how does it um, go from, in a way, this building is, is a sort of um, symbol of the, the, that moment of Berlin, which we can hang on to, um, and it can give us reassurance, oh, this is what Berlin... But actually, Berlin has to grow to the next phase. It can't be the distressed um, hippie city anymore. It has to find a new identity. The danger is that uh, it needs proactive planning. And if we're not careful, what's, what's tending to happen in planning is that it becomes confrontational. In the absence of direction and leadership and strategy and policy, then what you find is what you have in London, which is the, a sort of disenfranchised community who have no power except the power of resistance and protest, which in the end doesn't actually help you because all that happens is that people just hit each other for a number of years and then finally one of them falls over. And normally the investor wins, certainly in London, that's, that's what happens. And therefore you end up with, strangely, with a city that doesn't seem to be yours anymore. It doesn't seem to be about you. So we've gone from a sort of situation where the city actually can speak better than any museum can about us uh, in its high moment. I mean, again, just coming back from Vicenza, I would say, you know, in that period, the, and, and they benefit from that still, you know, this, this idea that a city is, uh, creates a setting, the backdrop for life, you know, for one's quotidian life, and that you somehow find your place in it. That's what architecture and, and urbanism can do. It can locate us. It can help us find our place in a very confusing place. That in the contemporary negotiations between investment and protection, because the city does belong to us. And it's, it's amazing how people feel attached. You know, I experienced that in Noise Museum when, you know, when there were protests about what we were doing. A lot of my German colleagues sort of said to me, you know, I'm sorry that you're having such an amount of... Um, press and negativity about it but I felt it was a very positive thing because it, it reassured me that architecture is important and that's what we believe in so, so I think the, the, to try and answer your question there is no escape from the fact that we, we need to develop um, planning strategies and, and uh, ideas in a much more con consensual way that finds a balance between 
the energy of investment, which we need, and an idea of what a city should be. But you still have hope for Berlin? Is that, is that my yes, sense? Of course. Huh? Good. Good, good. Hope is not lost. You heard it here first. Uh, so <laughs> take that with you and go ahead, please. Yes, hello. This is uh, Laura Masri. I'm a, uh, let's say, young, um, uh, culturally driven architect. And just to continue this line of questioning, um, to go to the role of the architect uh, in, in all of this uh, difficult situation. Um, I mean, if I see your practice in what the production is 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 one aspect and the second aspect is sort of this uh opening this discussion for development and um what happens when architects become more political should architects become more political and um utopian example what happens if all architects uh go on strike <laughs> And don't make any uh, s uh, star uh, architect buildings until, you know, uh, planning strategies are, are rethought. Because as a young architect these days, it's very, um, for example, I focus on the interior. Um, because in the interior, I think there is a huge relevance in development and, you know, great scope. So um, maybe the political <coughs> question is it. Um, I think it's a very good question. You know, what is... What is our role going forward? Um, to, architects are motivated by two, two things. There are sort of two parts of our brain. One is that we're motivated by making things. We, and architecture needs that. I mean, we, we do need to build beautiful things. We need to build beautiful spaces. We need to think about that. that is the, that's the text of our, of our work. But at the same time, it's not enough to make a nice staircase. You, you hope that the work of the architect is societally relevant. So we're trying to, you know, and, and to do one nor the other is, is not interesting. So um, one has to, to, to find some way by which we can use our skills. I think we are quite well trained in this. But it's becoming very difficult in a society. It's not the architect's fault and it, Society is dividing itself up in terms of responsibilities. It's very difficult to get coordination between the traffic engineer, uh, the city landscaping, uh, you know, developers. I mean, they sit in very different um, places. And to give you an example, to answer your question, can we play a more political role? I believe so. We ha I have a foundation in, the, in Galicia, in the north west of Spain, which I've been working on for the last three years. Essentially, it, it started off as being asked by the president of Galicia to help with urbanism and stop them building such bad buildings, which they're doing. Um, but I very, we very quickly realized that this was something very difficult to legislate against. But what we could do was to try to link things together. So we could find, we could bang heads together. Um, so we decided that we should be an agency, not, a, not, an, not architects. So I'll just give you one example. We have a commission at the moment. Um, I've identified five things which are critical to maintaining the quality of life in this 
rather beautiful, very poor, but very beautiful corner of Europe. Uh, one of them regards as inevitable uh, traffic and controlling traffic because every town is, is you know, every square is full of cars. Parking is, is somehow, no mayor, I mean, the, the local mayor say, you, you can do anything you want, but just don't talk about traffic. They, you know, it's how mayors lose their jobs. So, um, and everybody, uh, you know, wants to, no, no one wants to talk about traffic. But traffic is destroying the villages, and it's destroying, you know, both by the fact that roads are running through those, those towns and are not controlled, and secondly, they are parking. So the car has a, an enormous devastation. You know, so it's pointless talking about urbanism because it, the car is, is, is the main question. When we talk to the traffic engineers, say, is it possible to slow the car down going through this town? Because the car is going, the traffic is going on a road that used to be, a, let's call it a social street, where it was the heart of the town. Now it divides it. The answer from the traffic engineers, of course, but why would you? Because the traffic engineers trained to make the traffic go as smooth as possible, not to block it. So when we say, could we block it here and block it here and make it into one way, their answer is yes, but why would you? Because they wouldn't. So the question is, who would? So what we're discovering is that if we can bring traffic experts in and say, well, actually, if you do that, you just lose three minutes or something, which shouldn't be a big problem, but at the same time, you could actually mend the village, mend the town. Now, if we can do this, I find that a much more interesting piece of work than many other things, other, other tasks that we've been challenged to do. So I do think that uh, as, a, as agents, we can uh, work and, and bring things together, to bring politicians, bring planners, and, and uh, bring investment together. It's a hell of a lot easier in a small community like that than it is in a large city, where I, I would have to say I've tried to work on planning things in London, and it's, I would say, very, very difficult now. Would you describe yourself as a political architect? No, I, I, I believe that uh, architecture is a professional and cultural activity, that it's not just uh, an autobiographical, um, you know. I mean, and I, it's easier for me to say that now. At the beginning of your career, of course, you, you're, you're trying to uh, make your mark. You're trying to identify yourself through your profession. We are, as an office now, as a practice now, um, we can, uh, in a way, set our task uh, to be wider than just the production of very beautiful buildings, which I think is not really the big question in, in front of us. And, and less and less it's the question. And... and if we're not careful, architects will just become that. They will become decorators of cities by producing one-off destinational buildings. But we won't be building schools. We won't be building housing. We won't be building the things which influence our daily built environment. 
Let's look if we have more questions at this particular point. Uh, we have microphones uh, left and right. The gentleman here on the right, please. Uh, microphone is uh, coming to you. It's coming to you. Go ahead, please. He's a troublemaker. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> oh. David, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, form uh, versus systems. Um, like, how does... We touched on that in the previous panel, but how, how does systems thinking enter into your practice now, and, and, and where does that sit in the modern age? Systems in what way? Well, if you think in the Victorian Bazalgette kind of way, where there's actually a sort of integrated... Uh, you, you, your project is part of the greater whole, uh, and... And and that, I think, is what you were intimating a little bit before, is that the, these developer buildings are, are withdrawn somehow or enclosed away from the whole. Hmm. Everything in contemporary uh, planning and building does the opposite. It tells you to disentangle from uh, conditions which are outside of your control. So let's say an investor wants to build a building in a street. Uh, f one might know that from an urbanistic point of view, one should take a holistic idea about that whole area. However, the, the, the investor will, be, will, will want to, and quite rightly from his own position, want to, to detach totally from anything that might bring him into more complex discussions. So if, and, and I've just done, we've just done a sort of planning exercise in, in a whole part of London where we, we compared a current planning application, uh, investors' planning application, which has been in a, in a confrontational fight for the last 10 years. Um, we took students from ETH, we did a sort of exercise to say, if we could look at the wide outside of the red line of the site and we could um, plan in a more linked up way, could we deliver both the, uh, the, the target of the investor in terms of quantity and could we deliver the demands of the community in terms of quality. And yes, you can. It's very easy. But there's nothing within our system. I mean, we compared this. In, in Switzerland, I would say that system does exist to go beyond the red line site. But increasingly, that is becoming something which investors don't want to do. They want to... So while we know that the future of, of our society depends totally on taking larger, wider, more in intelligent decisions, which are to do with linking everything up, whether that's to do with the, the placement of car parking, the, the, the building of housing, the equalizing of conditions. We know it has to be. I mean, it, it's, it's in the sort of DNA of all discussions about sustainability. We, we have to find um, a, a larger overview. 
we know that that is what the future requires, but we are becoming less and less capable institutionally of, of doing that. And again, that was another thing that we're doing in Galicia. I argued that the old administrative boundaries um, from, you know, we have five mayors. They're all of different political parties, and they're all separated by arbitrary historical boundaries. And we're arguing that in, in a discussion about sustainability, those boundaries have no purpose. They have no meaning. We, we need a new territorial um, zoning, which is to do with landscape. It's to do with water. You know, water goes between um, mayor's boundaries. Um, forest fires goes, goes traffic. You know, so, so we know that we have to find tactics and methods to link things up. But I would have to say there are no signs that we are doing that. I don't want to end on a pessimistic note uh, because you've spoken at length about your frustration uh, and if I didn't misread you, also your sense that uh, the role of the architect is becoming increasingly irrelevant uh, in, in the times ahead. Um, no, I don't think... I, I think we're finding ourselves... With the microphone, please. We're finding ourselves in this position. But again, okay, let me try and... Uh, finish positively, I would say you know, the, the, the issues of sustainability, of pollution, of um, housing, you know, we're having a, in, in Britain we have a real housing crisis, I mean we have a housing crisis here. The idea of, you know, of identity and um, people um, you know, building communities, which is, you know, absolutely fundamental. These will become priorities for society. And I think they will change. And I think this, but it has to be a sort of societal demand. I mean, we've seen that issues about sustainability that maybe have been, were, were regarded more cynically 10 years ago are now becoming uh, uh, they have traction and we have a language to talk about them. And I think this will be the future of city planning as well, to talk about, I mean, the mayor of Oslo, you know, is talking about the planning of cities, not f actually using discussions about urbanism as architects talk, but, but about sustainability and about the quality of life and about places, communities and things like this. And I think this, this will become increasingly part of our concerns and I, I'm sort of confident that in a way the impending crisis will focus us in, an, in another way. But the impetus for a change has to come from the citizens, has to come from the people. There's no way, there's no, no sense of hoping for the political elite to turn things around, is that correct? Well, when the political elite can smell that uh, it might be useful to change, I mean it was very interesting in, in uh, in, in England in the last nine months, I think it was even six months. So um, this program, Blue Planet by uh, Attenborough, uh, had an enormous impact on people. And it even had an impact on our Minister of Environment because he watched it one Sunday. And the next, Monday, the next day, he said, we have to do something about plastic in the ocean. We should be grateful that he was watching television on Sunday night because if he hadn't, uh, you know, he wouldn't have said anything. However, 
what was really interesting is I would say that the mood of the country really changed. It wasn't the Minister of Culture. He realized that everybody, and I think it's very interesting, the whole plastic discussion. You know, if you said this three years ago, I think it would have been difficult. I think the plastic discussion is, is done. I mean, I think that's a, that's a low-hanging fruit now. And I think even the politicians know that they have to go there. And these are things which... So I think as soon as there is a, a, so there is a tipping point mm-hmm. in these things. And I, and I think if, if we are made aware... But I don't know whether we can make issues as singular and as identifiable as, you know opening up a fish and showing how much plastic has got inside it and shocking us. Um, you know, environmental issues are not quite so easy to, to dissect and, and diagnose. So the issues about planning in our city are really difficult to, to explain. And I found it in London really difficult to explain, you know, w- what's happening and that the fact of, of, of reducing the authority of planners has, has a profound effect. Um, and, and taking resources away from it is something that people don't really understand. They think everything is about bad architecture. But you're a man, an international man, of course, who yields influence at the end of the day. I would assume people are listening to you. Do you see influential people reaching out for you, seeking your advice? Um, we, we made a book. I, I did this piece of work in London on, on Bishopsgate. It was a, a piece of work we I did with, uh, sponsored by Rolex, because I, I was a, a, a mentor. And my, myself and my, my protege spent one and a half years working on this. We published the book. We got students to do the exercise. And it's a, it's a good piece of work. I sent it to every planning officer in 23 different boroughs, I think, 27. The mayor. I have never heard one word from... Uh, any of them. There's never been the slightest uh, reaction because these things are they're too there's there's no traction. There's no crisis. There's there's not a no. It's not it's too complex to it's not like just saying well let's ban plastic straws. Surprises me, frankly, because I would think I would think it's also in their interest to involve someone like you and and and, and incorporate their advice. But a uh, there's a question in the first row. Please go ahead. Sorry, John, you, you spoke of the tipping point for plastics. Do you think the death of the high street in London, for example, or in Britain, could be the tipping point? Maybe, maybe. I, I certainly think that. Um, I, I certainly think. I don't think it's the death of the high street. I think it's the the sort of exhaustion of consumption. I think that next generation will hopefully the next generation will be uh, less excited about uh, consumption as as we have, our generation has been. Um, I think they will be more more critical, and I think that will bring a sort of crisis. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I, I think there will be a there will be a tipping point at some point, and I think it will certainly the reduction in in the importance of retailing uh, 
has already had an effect. What's, what's disguising that is that we've switched from buying things to buying food and drink. So what you're seeing in London is a switch in, in uh, priority. So the streets are still full, but now they're full of people, of restaurants and, and food. So our new leisure is eating and drinking, which, again, one thinks there will be some limit to, uh, and I think there will be. You wouldn't know it by the headlines in the newspaper these days, but the housing crisis, of course, is one that, that affects many people here in Berlin. Many people are affordable housing. is becoming uh, less and less to find. People are driven out of their homes they've been living in for decades. Uh, where's the tipping point for, for, for Berlin? Uh, wh where do you see uh, the crucial knot that, that would turn uh, the political discussion around here in Berlin? I think in all cases, if you, if you go back in history, certainly to after the war, um, housing was not seen to be necessarily as some uncomfortable problem. It was just a responsibility. Therefore, the question is, how do you deliver the housing? Not Until politicians see that as a, an opportunity, not as a sort of, uh, you know, a reluctant responsibility. Um, then nothing will change. But I think that housing, the housing issue will certainly in England have a problem. I don't know enough about Berlin, but I certainly think we, we have to consider um, the, the building of housing is fundamental to the quality of the city and to the building of communities and to build places where we... I mean, it's, housing is, shouldn't be... Uh, We shouldn't be talking about housing in a, such an abstract way. I mean, we, we, we should be building cities. I mean, we should be strengthening the city. The, the problem is that we don't have... Um, there is no political will, serious political will. If there's really serious political will, then land would be made available, developers would be brought in, and there would be a, a strategy to do that. Um, and there would be a, a certain idealism involved. But in, at the moment... There, we, we, if we go outside of investment, we don't find an alternative picture. How big a role does sustainability play in your projects? You've mentioned the necessity for, for more sustainable projects, but in your current projects, in your current work, how big of a role does it play? Well, we like to take notice of issues of energy and sustainability, and, and thank God they're becoming more and more embedded in regulations. So even if you weren't interested, um, you know, in a way, we, we, we have that responsibility. We try to embed those ideas in the conceptual thinking of the project in terms of um, thinking how the architecture might naturally um, deal with a lot of those issues as opposed to just bolting on technology at the end. But I think this is becoming, in, in some ways, I would say that is becoming a, a much more understood and um, uh, sophisticated part of building construction, especially in Europe. You see this amongst the young generation of architects? Yes, and again, I would say, trying to be positive, I would say that we're seeing younger architects looking at different ways of, of working. Um, they don't want to imitate the conventional practice. Um, they're looking at 
uh, at, at other ways of operating, and they are also, um, I think, are entering the discussion quite critically in terms of the, fa the fact that architecture has slightly, you know, has lost its lost its way, and we're seeing many more of the younger generation interested in housing, interested in um, uh, social issues, uh, and is interested in issues of energy and sustainability. Well, I think we heard your concern loud and clear here today, the concerns that you have uh, going forward. But we also take note that you don't think that Berlin is a hopeless case. So I think that's, uh, that's something that we certainly like to hear and take away with. Hopefully, all these visions that you've laid out about the need and emphasis for sustainable sustainability will play out in exactly that way. And uh, your role, of course, here is as imminent as ever, ladies and gentlemen. Sir David Chipperfield, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you.